The following podcast is produced on the lands of the Boomerang people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria, Australia. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome back once again to Bite Your Thumb, a podcast in which I will explore my complete disdain for what is arguably Shakespeare's most well-known play, Romeo and Juliet. Now this one was a very interesting conversation. I had a chat with a lovely friend of mine who is a very passionate actor. He is a graduate from the Victorian College of the Arts from their acting program and he's gone on to done some wonderful things both online for media content, short films and theatre which he is extremely passionate about and you'll hear very much of that in this episode. I was actually very interested to hear about his experience actually playing the role of Romeo in a 2019 production of Romeo and Juliet, which was with the Australian Shakespeare Company in one of their locally well-known Under the Stars productions where they put on productions of Shakespeare in public parks. Now this was a very interesting production, it was very well received and it tried to play around with some cultural explorations that were differing from the sort of white traditional experience that most theatergoers get. And it's very interesting because we dive into how that may or may not have been a success and how audiences interpreted that, how there needs to be, you know what, there needs to be a bloody revolution in the theatre and I'll let Sam explain most of that for you because he knows what he's talking about and it was just such a great conversation that I'm very excited to share with you. So here he is, our very own Rome to tell us what it's all about, Samuel Rowe. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast. I know it was a very out of the blue sort of question, but I just thought this would be a good conversation. It would. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, now I've got all the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, It's a two-way street, I think. Yeah, for sure. So I just need to ask how you feel about Romeo and Juliet. Do you love it or hate it? Do I love it or hate it? Um, or indifferent. That's a valid option too. I don't think I'm indifferent either. I, I, I do have feelings about it um, <laughs> as a literary thing, as a, something that can, you know, you analyze with your brain. Mm. I have enjoyed it that way back in high school. I'm sure that I would you know, like have found it incredibly fascinating and amazing to see in its time when it was performed by actors that were, you know, in a very different physical, you know, with, with embodied cultural landscape mm. than um, a lot of contemporary actors' bodies. As a, as a performance, I can't say I've, in, I've enjoyed it. So you mentioned that so high school, I mean, I think this is very typical for most um, people, but getting that introduction in high school. So was that when you first had your interaction with not just Romeo and Juliet, but with Shakespeare in general? Yes, yes, that is the way. I, I did an English elective in year nine called Love and Hate, which was oh. going to be all about the, the themes of love and hate. And I was the only boy in the class Wow. And the teacher would make me read out Romeo's lines as we were <laughs> reading through it, which I delivered it in, in a simultaneously kind of overdramatic um, <laughs> way and also like a 
terrified and secure teenager. So there was conflicting systems at work mm. there, which gave, <laughs> gave it a very interesting spin, I think. So would you say there was a, any systems conflicting or was there a different kind of vibe when you ultimately played the role professionally all those years later? There's the actor that wants to really do a, um, a good job and wants the audience to really feel something. Mm. But the, what they're battling is how we're raised with text. Um, and this is a kind of larger conversation uh, <laughs> if we want to get into it. Oh, for sure. Um, Go on any tangent you like. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's quite astounding. Like, we learn to read text aloud from primary school teachers. So I have this job. My main job at the moment is, it's called a simulation specialist. What I do is I do a combination of uh, voice modulation, uh, some head tracking, motion capture, and an Xbox controller. I use this kind of video game looking technology to portray five uh, primary school age children. And then pre-service teachers, like teachers who, are, who haven't graduated yet, practice their teaching their lessons like on me as oh, kids. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's such an unusual thing but that's really really cool so yeah. do you so what, what's that like it's quite a, it's quite incredible it's quite um an insight into how we are training people to teach kids we're doing there's this assignment um that involves them what a lot of them are doing are reading to the kids and they're reading like this storybook and it's astounding um every like 99 percent of these people and they've all come different walks of life they're all you know learning to be a teacher Mm. They read the text to the kids in the exact same way. They're like, I made some cookies for tea, said Ma. Good, said Sam and Victoria. We're starving. <laughs> Share them between yourselves, said Ma. <laughs> oh, I don't think I will, said blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like this. Um, and they all read it like this. Um, and yeah, but, but of course, you know, I had a greater insight. One of them was like telling the kids to read and was like, okay, kids, you know, when there's a full stop, you go, <gasps> you take a big breath in. And when there's a comma, you go, <gasps> and that's a little breath. And so then I'm a kid and I'm, and I'm like, I, I was, you know, one of the kids is quite earnest and so really wanted to give it a go. So they're like, <gasps> I made some cookies for tea, said Ma. And, <gasps> you know, and they're like, you know, being over breathing. Um, and, yeah, so so that so so here's the, here's how it comes back to, yeah. to, to, to yeah. Romeo. Okay, so um, <laughs> so there's that. So that's our upbringing with text, and most of us don't even remember how we were taught. Mm. So when when actors, because actors, you know, it's they're not exempt from that kind of education when they encounter scripts when mm. they encounter text it's from that same kind of this is something to be said out loud and this symbolizes this you know you know like that's really trained that's really ingrained in the bodies that that it's not um something physical it's not something emotional mm. um so in that in that way there is another system at work with the actor wants to do a good job and mm. the amount of work that's gone into making text uh, an uninteresting thing mm. you know? and that's no one's fault i'm not sure or maybe it's someone's fault it's not i'm sure we can blame it's not someone. the primary school teacher's fault <laughs> no but yeah i think you've touched on a really good point and that's something i um learning shakespeare in school and it was very much that it was very much sitting at the desk reading out loud without much physicality and you need to get up and move your body and really deliver shakespeare because that's how it really should be taught and how it really sinks in yeah 
Yeah, as as physical as you as you can, but but there's you know as I was kind of saying earlier, you know, we have no idea really the, the extent to what the the bodies portraying these people looked like in their time, mm. um, and you know how animalistic it was or how whatever it was we don't Mm. know yeah no I totally get what you mean it would be a completely different experience having seen going to see a production not just of Romeo and Juliet but any play by Shakespeare in his time and how the players of the time would have interacted with the text and how they would have interpreted it And and especially since there were no women playing any of the female roles. I would have added an extra interesting layer to that sort of performance, I can imagine. Lots of young boys playing Juliet, so... <laughs> yeah, a bizarre, bizarre thing. What I... Oh, well, you know what I want to talk about. I really want to try and dig into your go as Romeo. So this was... Was it about a year or two ago? Was it last year that you um, played yeah. Romeo? It was around a year and a half ago. Mm. It was around March of 2019. Uh, it was the Australian... Australian, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, they kind of pioneered outdoor kind of theatre in Australia. They've been doing it for 30 years or, or something like this. Um, so some of these performances are like 10 years old. The blocking's like 10 years old. So with the production that um, I did, you know how they go, you know, like, let's set it in um, Gangsters New York. Let's set it in, <laughs> yes, you know, please. blah, blah. Let's do all this thing. Yeah. The, the, what they wanted to do with that was let's have Anglo, like Caucasian people portray the Montagues and uh, mm. Indian, Sri Lankan, Pakistani people play the Capulets. Let's have a giant Bollywood number at the dance scene and let's have all these costumes, you know, from those places and this sort of thing. Yes, that was something else I was going to touch on because I did a little bit of reading, investigating into the production, which sadly I didn't get to see myself, but I thought it was very interesting how that production brought in very specific, like, cultural inspiration, obviously the the Bollywood numbers and the costumes, which I thought looked incredible. So Mm. was there any particular reason that they decided to put in that cultural influence was it a background from the director or the actors or was it just to explore something different um i i couldn't really tell you i think the director wanted to try something you just wanted to do and try something different Mm. i know a lot of the actors were keen on making that choice more um significant culturally Mm. by you know beyond the kind of um costumes and the and the Bollywood number and, and, and the other dances and traditional dances and stuff like, you know, what um, codified cultural gestures can we have from the culture? How can we make this more, you know, how does this affect all this stuff? Um, but that uh, conversation really never um, happened properly. Right. Um, which is quite unfortunate, uh, I think. And, you know, there, there were plenty of, um, people that came to see the play that were of Indian, Sri Lankan, Pakistani descent that yep. um, were very keen and, and happy to see uh, what was there. But I imagine there were also lots of people um, that were disappointed that it felt the flavour of something. Right. Um, and not what not be specific enough. Yeah, definitely. It's very... That's a very tricky... Thing to do because 
and again this is something I've discussed on the podcast before and want to do a little bit more of and I'm aware like talking about this that we're both two white people so we can't (laughs) can't speak too much to it but of course it's like I think it's an extremely positive thing that like as we've come through the centuries like 400 years after Shakespeare's time we're trying to separate Shakespeare from its very Anglo-Saxon puritanical sort of established roots and trying to put some like diversity and culture and just different perspectives in there because that's a very important thing if you want to keep a work invigorated but keep it alive but from what it sounds like from what you're describing it wasn't I don't know I mean you're the one that can actually speak to the experience unfortunately I didn't get to see it but Mm. so would you say reactions from the audience were mostly well given the context of the show and what your production was trying to get across, would you say it was mostly positive or a bit more mixed, a bit negative? Um, What would you say that was? You know, there's a few things to it. Like you could, you could say this, you could say largely positive because the reviews were favorable and people left going like, Oh, wasn't that good? You know, like, (laughs) Oh, and that bit with the, with the dancing, Oh, you know, lovely. And, and that bit where, um, you know, oh, he's running up and down. That was so funny, you know. Um, but but then you, then you consider, is that successful? If someone has left Romeo and Juliet, which is a, a, a tragedy, mm. you know, which is a, a quite, you know, horrible things happen. If they leave going like, oh, well, wasn't that nice that we got to, you know, sit in the park and, and look at the stars and, and, and change from day to night. If they, if this is the focus of, if this is what they took from their experience, mm. and is that actually a, um, a positive thing? You know, and I, you know that you've discussed, you know, on the podcast, like yeah. the the amount of themes, the 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 layers. It's not mm. the romance. It's not just this, this, that, and and then he's horrible to them, and then there's this divide of the, you know, it goes into this. Yeah. And if they don't come away with that, if if they've come away just going, oh, like wasn't that nice and then I don't think the intention happened yeah I understand where you're coming from now and this is something that I that really grinds my gears whenever I talk about this play because my mind has been opened up a lot more about it and I've been more considerate to the themes that are actually there and that it's not just a love story but what still boggles me is people getting that very surface level interpretation of the story people just call me it's like oh isn't that lovely what a lovely love story it's so romantic oh my goodness and then they just miss everything about the patriarchal environment of Verona and these two fighting families and it just misses it just seems to fly over so many audiences heads yeah and which you have to then consider um is that the audience's issue is that their problem if the majority of them are taking that away. The theatre going population in Australia is like 1% or something like this. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, which makes you think like, okay, so so most people aren't, aren't getting something from it. Mm. Most people, there's something missing. They don't feel like they're getting the value for money. They're not getting the, the catharsis that they wanted or the call to action or, or, or something. Mm. There's, there's a missing element and and it's it's quite interesting how it's well like how the production i was in was advertised i think it was it was this photo of me and the actress playing juliet in this like you know photo of roses mm. and it was like experience love under the stars and it was like that's what we're going to give and that's what you're going to take because I, i'm not sure if many productions are 
capable of delivering those deeper themes to people so that they really hit, so they really are taken. What do you think it is that most productions are missing where it's just not landing those deeper things, do you think? Um, there's a few things, I guess. There's an insistence, um, and this, this comes from the acting training of how uh, the majority of actors are taught in Shakespeare, Mm. an insistence on the value of the text. Iambic pentameter, da, 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 da. it's 10 syllables per verse. You deliver it like this. It, um, if it has 11 syllables, it's a feminine ending. And that with that, <laughs> you have to give it more oomph or, or something like this. And this kind of literary interpretation on what is um, ultimately a physical, emotional, huge thing for these characters. It, it's murder, it's tragedy, it's... Um, you know, it's saving people's lives. It's, it's, you know, friendships that go beyond them. You know, it's these huge things. And actors are taught to treat the plays in the kind of the same way that, that the high schoolers do. Mm. A high schooler can tell you, you know, and they're not a professor of literature. A professor of literature could, could tell you more what this line really means and what a saucy rogue really was in the context <laughs> of that century and, and why that's significant to the Elizabethan blah, 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 blah. But, you know, if a high schooler does that, but high schoolers don't make the good productions. they really don't (laughs) no um which tells you that that okay so so there's something else going on so it can't just be the analysis that the investigation into the text there has to be performative element but with so many productions so many rehearsals focus on let's all kind of have a go of being professors of literature Mm. and that's not really the job of the actor like, again, it would have been so interesting to see Shakespeare in its time actually being performed because then we could get an actual idea of how... I mean, there's arguments against, you know, like, authorial intent and how important it is, but it's interesting how over the years we've fallen into this rhythm with Shakespeare and how we perform it and how we teach it to the next generation. It's all very... It's very static. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What I want to dig into a little bit more, just because I find it really interesting how people approach these really, well, arguably iconic roles and what you bring to it. So did you have a specific preparation or mode that you went into to prepare for the role of Romeo? How I prepared for it is, I'll tell you how. Um, Yeah, tell me how. (laughs) Yeah. I did what I was taught to do at that Mm. time, which was to note all of the verse and prose and all the syllables and and where supposedly Shakespeare is telling you to add oomph and emphasis. Mm. And I also did something that no one told me to do, which was to look at reviews of um, Romeo and Juliet from productions all across, you know, the big ones in in London and, and in America and like, look where are the problems and then the reviewers going like Romeo's such a mopey unlikable <laughs> asshole and all this stuff and I'm identifying the problems and I think okay so and then I take a look at the first scene in which the audience first sees Romeo and um how so many actors take that in such a mopey direct he's moping he's he's you know pining for Rosalind and and his friends like don't really care and think yeah. that he's being over the top and and I'm like, okay, so if this is the audience's first impression of Romeo and ultimately that we need to feel for this character, yeah. then 
then he has to have some semblance of likability, likable quality, relatability in this first scene, in this first scene in which um, the text is not in the favour, you know, mm. arguably. So... Yeah, absolutely. I just think <laughs> when, while you were saying that, just the sentence, like, that had Romeo and likability in the same sentence, that just did not meld for me <laughs> at all. I'm like, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you think your Romeo was likable or was that a bit of a challenge? Uh, that, that would depend on, on what the audience got what the audience received you know i i think people are afraid to be critical i think mm. um people are like oh so good like oh so good um yeah. and i you know that we certainly did have one friend who was like oh, i understand now and i always thought he's an asshole and now i understand that he <laughs> he's actually like this and so <laughs> you would call that a success was it a difficult experience going through that production or look back at it and think that was a good experience I look back at it as a very informative, very informative experience. It was right. the first thing I did outside of drama school, you know, the, the insight into, okay, you know, what's out there? What's really being, what's being produced? I, I go, oh, what? <laughs> God. Oh my gosh. I, I go like, there's so much to be investigated. Like those kind of Shakespeare in the Park productions are the only really, I think that I've observed in, in Australia, or at least in Melbourne, I'm not really sure, mm, that, yeah. um, draw uh, the greater public and not just the an older demographic of of white people that it's like like ah that classic thing and i can sit in the in the park and i can eat a pizza which is not something you can generally do in, in other theaters um i would hope not <laughs> yeah so and i'm like okay well what are they getting well what they're getting is not the tragedy of the play that they're, they're getting something else they're getting a experience to say oh me and doris went to the park and we saw this and we ate pizza and and it, and there was a big bollywood number and and so i would say it was it was very informative and there's a lot to look at from it yeah do you think um because this is something that i've talked about just in general not really on this podcast yet but the accessibility of theater particularly in australia how like you were saying, there's this very established demographic of old white people that go to the theatre. And there's then, then there's everyone else who doesn't go to the theatre, whether that's because they're not exposed to it culturally or, you know, lack of funds to be able to do so. Because theatre is a very expensive, you know, thing to be going out at night for most of the time. You're, you're doing your job, you're standing up there and you're performing, but are you aware of any sort of... Um, like a difference in engagement from an audience like that where they're out under the stars, would you say they're not as engaged or they're just more, like, you know what I mean? I can feel, um, you know, different pockets, you know. Mm. There's the kids that are there to, because they're made to study and there's the people that are there um, to say that they've been there and there's <laughs> the people that, you know, that, that want to have a good time and whether they do mm. or not is... You know, the, the majority of what I feel from an audience is a kind of willingness to meet the performance halfway. I think right. because people want to have a good time, they've spent mm. the money. And so they're like, oh, I kind of see what you're doing up there on stage. You're kind of being so, okay, I'll, I'll be sad. <laughs> what, what isn't happening enough is really reaching into them, really 
um, giving value, really making them feel um, mm. what you're wanting to make them feel. And I think if that was happening a lot more, there would be more people interested in theatre. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you, I think. Because it's been a little while since I've seen any Australian theatre. Um, well, even longer now since this pandemic. But it's all very it's fallen into this sort of pattern and this sort of groove where it's, it's very comfortable. It's not very challenging. So completely. Yeah. Completely. This is the, you know, like it used to be that this is where you get challenged. Mm. This is where you have, you're confronted with the energy, with not just a new idea, but the energy and support of a new idea that really makes it apparent to you or something like this. Um, mm. You know, and now we're really we're even surprised when we're affected by something. Mm. When we're affected by a film or 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 a play or something. Yeah, it comes to people as a shock. It's like, oh, I'm actually feeling something. That's a surprise. Like, yes, this is probably a very generalized statement, but sometimes, particularly theatre makers, like they're not pushing the envelope hard enough. It's just like, let's go deeper into this. Let's like snap the audience out of their reverie and get them to really sit up in their seats and think, holy crap, this is, I need to pay attention. Completely, completely. It needs to be happening more. So how do you think with new generations, hopefully going into theatre and mixing up the game a bit and getting not just old white people sitting in the seats, but all kinds of people sitting in the seats, what do you think we can do as creators to initiate that change? We need to take a look at different ways of going about it mm. um, because, and this is a thing as well, like the kind of acting training that we see in the majority of institutions and schools and, and places is derived from an acting training that was created nearly a hundred years ago. So it's a very mm. old technology. And what other technologies do we use that are from a hundred years ago? Not many that I can think of, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> Um, clothes I mean (laughs) yeah and and that's it (laughs) completely Completely. so I mean I couldn't say to everyone else like how 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 do we invigorate how do we do I mean my interest in in how to do that how do I really affect how do I give something guttural how do I do that you know my Mm. investigation led me to um, a new acting method that's come out of Germany called PEM the Hodekamp emotional method, it's a biological approach to acting. So there's no uh, psychological element. Um, So it it becomes then a profession, a a physical profession of endurance, like a sport. And that has transformed acting for me and has made me aware um, more so of how much more we need to express outward, to really affect because like everyone's muscles are kind of atrophied, you know, we're all in front of screens and, and my generation's the worst at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Arguably one of the worst, that's for sure. Of course. From what you're describing, like completely leaving behind the mind, not getting your own head and just having it be completely physical. That almost seems completely perfect for Shakespeare and how it should be performed going forward. Shakespeare, I feel like has, roots in all sorts of styles leading up to its inception from 
the Greek theater and from Italian Commedia dell'arte, which was all very physical and all very visual and not so much people getting in their own heads and thinking about how they should be standing or delivering a line. It was all very in the moment and very physical. So mm. we, there, there definitely needs to be a return to that in a way. And hopefully we can sort of achieve that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. More physicality, maybe less pizza and Bollywood dancers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, maybe you have a Bollywood dance here and there. I feel like you've kind of answered this in a way, but um, I'll put it out there anyway. So as an actor yourself, that's sort of trying to move away from these stale old ways of perfecting the craft and learning how to act, moving away from those old sort of institutions. Do you think it's not really relevant anymore or maybe still relevant for actors to have some kind of relationship with Shakespeare? Ah. Oh, that's a tough one. Ah, I've asked you a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't know. I mean, I think Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare was writing for uh, his time and that's no longer our time. Mm. Um, It it doesn't mean that what was written doesn't have any value. I, I really enjoy a lot of the plays. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people had a hard time in high school with them. I really enjoyed mm. studying them in that way. Um, but as for actors to have a relationship, I'm not sure. That's fine. That That is also a valid answer because I was even thinking about that myself. And like I did my share of quote unquote acting in high school back when I thought I wanted to be an actor and it's mm. it's interesting because I, I just put that question out there because I feel like if you want to be an actor you have to get your start doing some form of Shakespeare you have to be Romeo in your high school production or you have to do the Scottish play like and you have to have this ongoing relationship but that may or may not be true especially as we're yeah yeah, moving onwards and onwards with history and different things are coming about like especially with your new kind of training where it's moving away from the psychological and moving into the body that maybe that's a reason to either leave Shakespeare behind or have another sort of reinvigoration where we can continue I mean I would love I would love to see um a production of Shakespeare where the investigation is really physical and we mm. try as hard as we can to to portray the bodies that they had back then mm. and how dangerous that would feel um, to us now mm. because they're so capable of movement, you mm. know, like, like what, and we get this like, oh, what can happen from them? I would love to see that. I think we're a, a bit way off though. Maybe you can be the starting point. You can be the one that generates that to come into, come into fruition on our stages. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. And actually, it's interesting because um, a few episodes ago, I talked to Peter Evans, who um, is the artistic director for Bell Shakespeare, and he brought up a very interesting point about Romeo and Juliet post-COVID, how that's going to look. And he said, I could very well see a modern interpretation of Romeo and Juliet 
in a world of COVID-19 where everyone is wearing a mask and we all have to keep separate. So like it's one quarantine family and another quarantine family. Exactly. And, then the story, and it's forbidden. Yeah, due to stage yeah. four. So yeah, sure. the prince is played by Dan Andrews. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make that joke actually just before you said it. No, it's okay. Make that joke. I won't have said it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to like splice it up so that I say it? Sure. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was very interesting as well because he brought up the point of um, the friar that's usually forgotten, Friar John, um, because we have Friar Lawrence, but then there's Friar John who rocks up right at the end out of the blue yeah. saying that he couldn't deliver the letter to Romeo because he was in contact with a plague house and he had to go and quarantine himself. And I'm like, that's perfect yeah. for a post for a post COVID-19 Romeo and Juliet. So yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see, to see. For yeah, sure. well, let's keep an eye out on <laughs> the Australian Shakespeare Company. <laughs> See yeah. if they're brave enough to do that. Sure. I mean, they they went for Bollywood. I'm sure they can go for masks and 1.5 distancing between all the actors. <laughs> if you had to give any advice to young people that are going into these roles of Romeo or like Romeo and Juliet, if they're approaching these very seminal roles as someone that has walked in those shoes before what would you want to say to someone getting into that headspace of playing these characters avoid the headspace of those characters don't let anyone drag you into that headspace of those characters that mm. you know being psychologically in the same place as they were would be an awful 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 thing mm. um to have to undergo i would say be technical be physical make it for the audience make it for them that is very good advice. Would you want to play Romeo again if you had the chance? Absolutely not. No, not for, <laughs> no, not for many years, <laughs> at least. There's a character that falls so desperately in love, willing to risk death by visiting them, marries them, and then when he is, when, they, when she dies, that he goes and gets poison and goes to her tomb and meets Paris along the way and kills Paris because he's in the way of it all. <laughs> gets in there and drinks poison to be with a dead body. You, instrumentally, you need to be so clear to do something like that. Mm. Um, that, that can't be imagined. There are, no, there are no personal experiences you could draw from that, would, that could possibly give you the, that level. There's no you know, thinking your way into that. So mm. I would want to do loads and loads and loads more craft work, instrumental work, um, mm. and then approach it again very, very differently to how I did the first time. Well, I look forward to seeing your reinterpretation maybe 20, 30 years down the line. We'll yeah, give let's it a have go. A, give like it a, a go. 60-year-old Romeo. <laughs> Yeah. I would love to see a 60-year-old Romeo because then a, a everyone can see how insane his behaviour is. This is like, he's acting like a teenager. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe a production where all the adults are kids and all the kids <gasps> are adults. Oh my God, someone make that. Mm. Oh, I'm sure I, they have. Have they? I'm sure it's somewhere. <gasps> I'm just missing all these productions that sound incredible. <laughs> just before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to plug or promote? Is there um, anywhere where you'd like to get some social media following or anything like that? Um, I would I would say to any uh, 
actor that's listening, I would say to give um, Pem uh, a go. Mm. Uh, just just give it a try and see if it's for you. Um, it, it, it's transformed my acting completely. And you can go to their website, Pem Studios Melbourne, and you can book a 30-minute intro session for mm. like $20 or something, like nothing like this. Oh, lovely. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes for people to go and check out. All right. I'll put an end to it there. But thanks again, Sam, for doing this. This has been really lovely. And yeah, thank you. Just thank you for giving me your time. Of course. Thank you. Thank you as well. All right. So that was me and Sam pretty much tearing Australian theatre a new one. And you know what? It needs to be torn a new one because lots of things need to change and be explored about the theatre scene in this country. And again, I will reiterate that we do understand that we're two white people talking about this very flexible cultural thing that is theatre. There may be different interpretations that we did not consider or may have missed out on and I completely recognise and respect that and if you do want to get in touch and so if you think that there are some things that we didn't touch on or maybe didn't consider properly do reach out and let me know because I would love to delve into it further and I do want to consider all the points that there are. But I think Sam was right in saying that there needs to be a reinvigoration in how we touch on contemporary theatre and how we touch on Shakespeare because I agree it is very static and there needs to be a new way to approach it and I think that comes down to how it's taught in schools so that might be a completely separate episode that I might do because that's something that I didn't think would be touched on so many times throughout these episodes the way that people experience Shakespeare in school so I might see if there's a teacher out there who's willing to talk to me about that and I think it also comes down to different cultures and different backgrounds and different perspectives putting their touch on Shakespeare and just showing us that there's different ways to do this and there's different ways to reinvigorate and give more meaning to. So let's see that a lot more, please. And also, I really want to see that COVID play. I think that would be totally brilliant. Obviously not right now. I think maybe it's a bit too soon, but maybe in a year or two from now, let's have a COVID-19 Romeo and Juliet. I think that'd be totally brilliant. I will leave it at that. And if you want to discuss this episode a bit more or to start a dialogue, please do let me know. The Instagram comments are always open for discussions and my email is always open as well. So get in touch if you have any perspectives you want to share. But for now, stay safe out there on the world of the stage. And stay away from your bloody little brain when you're trying to act. You're just going to overthink it. Just let your body do the talking. Thank you for listening to Bite Your Thumb. Intro and outro music is Minstrel Guild by Kevin McCloyd. You can follow Bite Your Thumb on Instagram at biteyourthumbpod and for any questions, inquiries or a sonnet, you can shoot us an email at biteyourthumbpod at gmail.com.